Welcome listeners to the ninth episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me today is co-host and powerful wizard Christopher Bigstrom Robinson Sean, still off barbecuing, but never fear, for this episode we have our first guest. Warm welcome to perhaps the most famous Swedish legacy player, card draw master and tournament organizer Marcus Ewald. As always, the best possible welcome to you, dear listeners. Hello, everybody, and uh, once again, welcome, Marcus. Thank you for having me. What a what a nice introduction. <laughs> I don't know if half of that is true, but uh, I'll take it. I, I think it's true. Um, I was trying to think of other famous legacy players from Sweden, and uh, um, it's you, and then there's nothing, and there are sort of some people who won the card market tournaments and such, but... Yeah, we meet them on Wednesday, so screw that. No, but I think I think uh, Marcus, uh, when we talked about having guests on, um, we're we're this tiny crew that went to Bologna and we had this chat. And I said I would just love Marcus to come on, and because one of those players, I think you play with him a bit on the Discord, uh, you know, uh, Love. And yeah, uh, yeah and uh, he was like, yeah, that would be perfect. And I was like, maybe it's not impossible. <laughs> so then I reached <laughs> out and I'm super happy to have you here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Wherever I can be and spread my blue propaganda, I'll take it. <laughs> Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Deck app. In today's episode, we will look at how extreme heat affects paper legacy. Uh, but our main attraction will of course be our dear guest Marcus. Together we're going to talk about Paper Legacy from the organizer perspective as well as convene the basic land connoisseur panel to talk about high tide. What else will we do with Marcus here? Before we do that though, on the off chance that some of our listeners are unfamiliar with your legacy play and community work, Marcus, could you give us an introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I, as many others, started playing Magic in middle school and we made our own rules and all of that. We met during the summers mostly and and then I had a break and came back in my 20s or something and uh, sort of found that this cool game, well, cool for me and maybe by <laughs> definition not anyone else outside this little bubble, but we found out that it was competitive and uh, I started playing uh, tournaments and later found out that you could play online. I come from a small town, so we didn't have much of a scene here. So I started playing and then played some more and found out about the legacy in 2009 or something and that was that how did you get into to legacy was it uh, the famous star city games uh, circuit or was it uh, you know some friend uh, in your play group that found out about it and started playing or do you remember <laughs> yeah i actually do remember because it was during gp rotterdam or something i i had it was one of my first tournaments uh, the big setting tournaments ever and i played burn and I, I was 03 or 04 or something at the last table of the tournament. And I, and I played versus Martyr of Sands, if anyone knows yeah, about that. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty bad bad beat. Yeah, I, I don't remember if I actually won or lost that one. But after that, I, I, f- I figured that, well, that, this trip was a waste. And then my friends, uh, I remember um, the, Gotham, the Gothenburg people, Anyu, if anyone remembers Anyu, he, he had his crew and... They sort of prepared for this side event, and I was like, "What? what what's a side event? And and I saw Force of Will and Phyrex and Dreadnought, and it's like, what? It's a 12-12 for one. How can it be? And and yeah, sort of, I got hooked right there, and, and then started playing in, in Lund uh, when, when we came back home. 
like an hour away from where I live. And and I and I found a nice crew there, and and we hang out, and we had our trips to Gotham to Gothenburg and to Copenhagen, and defended the the honor of South of Sweden or something. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Again, it's great to have you here. Uh, welcome to the podcast. There has been a 30, 32 Celsius or 85, 90 Fahrenheit, if you're into that, uh, for days on end in Sweden. So I have found myself just completely unable to put on headphones for Discord Paper Legacy. Uh, Christopher, were you as wise this week? No, Victor. <laughs> I, you know... Um, I love playing on the Wednesdays, even if it means that I have to put these massive headphones on, just, you know, sweat, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's terrible, uh, but you do what you have to do to allure people. So I managed to squeeze in some games and, uh, this Wednesday I put my alarm deck t- together and, uh, had a slightly higher curve than normal because uh, my the meta is really mid-range right now. Like I can cut mana acceleration and put in you know extra strixes without getting punished ever. So it's just uh, it's very nice. But I also got to try out the Acererac. I'll I'll never pronounce that card correctly, and it's uh, it's a it's a beating. Uh, you know I proxied it up and uh, tried it against Espevile and Lance, and the deck felt really good. But do you know what didn't feel good? Tell me what didn't feel good. Me. <laughs> so the combination of the extreme heat in the apartment and, you know, 30 degrees Celsius was, you know, very humid. And I started to feeling some, you know, the day after the vaccine sickness uh, d- during the uh, during the tournament. And it hit me super hard against my Lance opponent, which was, uh, well, it ended up being my last, last uh, game for the evening. So not only was I sweating because my opponent boarded in, you know, four sphere resistance, free choke, two chains of Mephistopheles because he's splashing black. Uh, also, the environment and body was just killing me. Uh, but it was, it was, I had a good time. But yeah, I was sweating in my headphones and, you know, just felt terrible, but still had a good time. That's the power of legacy. That is the power of legacy. What about you, Marcus? Are you slinging any cardboard currently or do you play exclusively online uh, at the moment? Yeah, it's actually exclusively online, but uh, I saw that there was a tournament in Tollhet on this Saturday, so maybe I go up there and sling some cards. I prefer the, the Paper Legacy to online any day of the week, especially now after two years of or one year or five. I don't really know. What is time? <laughs> COVID break. <laughs> what is time? I think I saw Robin, our co-host. He, uh, I think he marked it as attending or maybe interested in that troll head done because he's on vacation now and i think maybe maybe he's going it would be great if we had an actual tournament report uh, <laughs> on this paper legacy podcast at some point can't wait to have uh, players endure my high tide combo oh. that, that would be awesome <laughs> finally he's here he's back it's great always happy to uh, see uh, when you put out results and uh, the most recent results I've been really (laughs) happy to see because it's speaking of 2009-2010 it's a throwback can you tell us a bit about that (laughs) yeah the Coldplay deck you mean (laughs) so I I always try to find 
bad excuses to play stuff I like. And in this case, I found that if you have uh, solitude, you can pitch the hawks to, to solitude to sort of get tempo, card advantage, everything everyone needs. It's not really there, but uh, the, the, the core is, is good magic cards from a couple of years ago and with some new additions on top. I've been enjoying playing that type of deck, but it's 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 not really there. The Hawks are fine as bodies too, which is relevant because it can block the monkey, but it's not really what you want to do for two mana 2021. But it's uh, it's kind it has this uh, psychological effect also, you know, you cast a squadron hawk, you go get the other ones and then you're sitting in a full grip again and your opponent's on two free cards. You know it's like three of them are pseudo air, but it's gonna, it feels great nonetheless. <laughs> Cards are always cards, and cards are meant to be drawn, right? Especially, especially in this in this heat, you can you can fan yourself with your full grip. You can't really do that with a, with a daze and a monkey, right? Extra dexterity points, right there. We are indeed talking to a master of the game. I remember all hosts of this podcast chatting uh, about how to make our way to the last weekend, uh, but not being able to due to scheduling issues, uh, but then making uh, grand promises to make it happen the next time. And then, of course, the next time got postponed. We are, of course, all of us looking very much forward to, to the next time this happens. But for the ones who don't know, could you tell us a little bit about Viken, how the tournament came about and your thoughts on organizing it? Yeah, sure. So it started out as an idea that instead of going... To, to a tournament, I could host it in my own town and save some time on traveling. And uh, that failed miserably because it was a lot of time to prepare for this. But time aside, it, it was really smooth. And I think more, more people should try to host tournaments, actually, because it's not a lot of risk involved. People are scared of losing money from a prize pool or have players unhappy with the prices. And Magic players in general are... All about the EV. So, if if there's a good incentive to come, they will. But then you risk uh, losing out on, on uh, not enough players showing up, so to, so to speak. To to solve that issue, I actually made a list and contacted everyone I knew and had them <laughs> book their in their calendar and prepay for for showing up. That made it possible. So I I had enough. Uh, data to to make a price pool in uh, ahead of schedule and then I, I added on to that when more people signed up so traveling to to Viken uh, this small village out of nowhere is f- for a tournament where maybe 10 people show up it's it's not really something you do but if if the price pool is a guaranteed underground sea then at least it's worth the gasoline to get there I had personal contact with each and every one of the guests. And as soon as I realized that most of them were coming for hanging out and, and the experience, I, I started thinking about what I can do to make it even better. And, and we added uh, the lunch everyone was happy about. We, we had an official break during the tournament to go and eat. And stuff like that made it more enjoyable. My, my idea was to, to host an event where people would not like fall asleep the first thing after the tournament was over so yeah it feels like it's less um, it's more of a, a entertainment first and you know hanging out and maybe the grind you know uh, less uh, score oriented you know your result is not your weekend it sounds a lot like hanging out with people you know uh, 
10 people playing playing legacy is always going to be a good time and especially if less people are there for you know winning only winning then you know adding things like breaks and you know just being able to hang out is just such a good idea i mean i would personally show up if the first price was you know uh, <laughs> draw free and then signed by you i would have that as the first price i i would tank the car and just go like <laughs> speeding over there but yeah i i definitely think it's very interesting that uh, you started adding these things that's uh, not the normal legacy tournaments you know and it's not the gp experience in a smaller format it's not one of those um, sunday or saturday uh, L lgs uh, type scenarios it's a uh, you go to week and it's small and cozy you play with your with friends or make new friends and just enjoy yourself and sure there's a there there's gonna be a finals match and there might be some stakes in it but it's not about that exactly and there were a lot of players between like 50 and 70 uh, i think from the ones i've hosted and there were a lot of pet decks and and like really good accomplished players with their pet deck rather than the, the try hard uh, delver version so that, that was a very fun experience because that's also the play that you want to see, right? People who bring... This is like... This is not the best deck, but this is the deck I love the most. And I play it super well. Like, facing those opponents, I think that's... That's really the, the, the very best of Magic. And you can only get that in paper. Because if you do online tournaments, you will... You know, you will sign up with anyone and anywho. And everyone says just playing a league on Magic Online is always like playing day two of a GP. Um, and you might not always be in that mindset, especially not when there is good food to have, perhaps you know a couple of beers, go down to the water, I don't know. Again, it's like a full-fledged experience rather than just try-harding in front of your laptop. Celebrating the game, you know, bring your pet deck. Um, I, I, I had a really fun pet deck experience type of interaction when I was in Bologna, actually, because my it, it, I flew over on my birthday and my plane got severely... Um, delayed because it started snowing <laughs> of course it always starts snowing on my birthday but this was really bad because I got stuck in Stockholm and then I missed my connecting flight so I, I came to Bologna around six seven eight hours later than I was supposed to so I, I hurried and you know my my crew was already on the on the scene so they had written my deck list and everything I just ran into the first around uh, round sleeved up everything and started playing and uh, I, I won the match and my opponent on depths asked me, uh, are you going to play that deck tomorrow? <laughs> like concerned. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> that's so funny. But yeah, playing a pet deck or uh, whatever is what it's about. I'm going to bring the most stupid brew that I can think of when I come to weekend. I'm going to go 04 or 05 or how many rounds it is, but I'm going to have the greatest time. I was thinking like it's gonna be a problem for you to bring one pet deck because you have a zoo of of decks that you really love. Yeah, you can do the full full uh, mental thing and and just add them all and put Battle of Wits in the in the mix. <laughs> that that also reminds me. Last week I made a big oopsie. Um, we talked. We had a brew segment and I talked about uh, adding Tiamat in the natural order type uh, like uh, style of deck. And when I was reading it on the pod, it was like, if you cast Tiamat from your hand, and then I was like, yeah, you can put it in your natural order deck. And I just imagined, you know, one of those clickbait thumbnails. 
he natural orders for Tiamat. You won't believe what happens next. And it's like a three second clip of Tiamat entering and nothing happening. <laughs> uh, so that was an oopsie. No, but then again, I mean, the card is really sort of, you know, spiking in price. So at least you're onto something. Yeah, I, I think you're going to have to... You're gonna have to make that Tiamat deck anyway, just without natural order. That's what we're gonna see you bring to Viken. All the dragons everywhere. Uh, so how has the response been from the players, Marcus? Everyone has been quite happy. A lot of players have actually been reaching out to me lately and asked if I'm gonna host again. And I think this year is a bit optimistic. And so I, I wanted to host during the summer for, for that Viken experience and... Uh, <laughs> taking a bath between rounds or what have you. So I'm looking looking at next year and maybe I can do a two-day event or something. I don't know if... I'm, I'm looking into those things. A lot of players from like uh, England and Germany and stuff want to come as well. So if I can host a two-day event, that would be great. Yeah, I'd, I'll definitely show up. Like, uh, I, I've also heard a lot of people talking about it on, you know, uh, international podcasts and uh, in friend groups. Uh, a lot of people seem really excited. I am as well. And, uh, you know, two day event, double the fun. I'm all for it. I am super all for that. I would definitely just I would plan my vacation uh, around that if there was a two day event, because as many people who play Legacy in paper, they're also parents and you have to sort of always juggle the logistics of parenthood and uh, tournament play uh, but you know let me know in advance and I'll, I'll make sure that happens uh, that sounds fantastic that it is time to sit down with the basic land connoisseur panel and as we discussed you marcus are a among other things a high tide expert and of course this is a deck that only plays island as a basic lands i was thinking me and christopher we as uh, complete uh, unconnoisseurs of specifically high tide have uh, picked out uh, a couple of islands for ourselves anyway so we'll go first and then you can uh, Judge us on those picks and give us the correct replies. You go ahead first, Christopher. All right. So I've actually played this deck a little bit uh, because one of my friends, uh, he bought the deck, the Time Spirals, when they were a bit more reasonable, and he's really been enjoying the deck. And I think he built it because he saw uh, both uh, Marcus and uh, um, the on the Star City game circuit, the uh, really efficient player with candelabras, uh, feline... Uh, yeah, Longmore. Yeah, and he, yeah, and he just fell in love with the deck, so he built it, and I've, I've tried it here, but I'm... Uh, yeah, it, I'm pretty bad uh, at the deck. I'm, I'm not really sh used to the play patterns, but the first land that I picked was from Shards of Alara, and it's version 4. It has these uh, really um, weird... It, it looks very mathematical, uh, it, I think it's the Esper uh, land of the uh, of the cycle. Uh, everything looks very mathematical. Uh, it looks calm, you know. Everything's in really weird shapes, and that's kind of like my experience playing this deck. You know, 
calculating a lot, thinking about what to play around. But then at, at the end of the day, it's just some surgical precision, make those shapes, make it happen, and just really big blue sun zenith on your opponent. Um, the second one is from Urso Saga. Uh, it's version 337. And I just picked this one because it feels like it has some violent tides. And it's, it's not during a storm, but it's getting there. And I just think the whole art and everything together looks really moody for this style of deck. Um, so it's uh, those are my two picks. So my first pick uh, is from uh, very very new card. It's from Dominaria uh, Island Two Fifty Six. I picked it because I wanted to return to that feeling I had when I was in middle school and bought uh, Fallen Empires boosters uh, at the local toy shop. Opened these high tide cards, which came in, of course, a couple of different art variants. <laughs> Didn't really understand what to do with them, but they felt they had this. Um, you know, coral reef, merfolky art direction to them, uh, all of them. So I wanted to find an island that felt merfolky. Like, where do these high tide merfolks live? Uh, and then I found uh, this uh, 256 from Dominaria, art created by uh, Dimitar Marinsky, who, and this is the extra flavor for this land, is to create the, the guy behind uh, Thousand Year Storm. And I thought that Thousand Year Storm is a card that appeals to someone who also likes to do the crazy shenanigans that is high tide so i felt it had a multiple flavor addition uh, this card the second one i chose uh, was is portal version 4 by eric peterson and we keep coming back to portal just the portal basic lands are just so gorgeous uh, they fit everywhere it seems uh, and this one i picked uh, basically because i felt this is a place where there is there are tides <laughs> <laughs> the turn of the tide that happens on this island so those are my picks marcus what do you think Th- those were all great and every everyone tapping islands is is doing the right thing and uh <laughs> so I, I i actually have this one the syndicar bucket flying bucket and the reason i started out with this was that i i want to save milliseconds when i play and this was the cheap version of a full art land back in in the day <laughs> so that that's the reason, and then it sort of grew on me, and and it's kind of uh, mystical and and weird in the same way. Lately, I I, I uh, started to become nostalgic, and now I have the beta one in in the foil version, so it's sort of nostalgic, but the in the in the new frame. I'm not really sure I like foils. Uh, I think if you have foils, everything has to be foiled. In high tide, you can't really do that because of, well, if you if you find a foil time spiral, you you should not really buy it. <laughs> or a foil high tide, <laughs> or, or they are are they exclusive to uh... fallen empires? Yeah, fallen empires. Are they exclusive to fallen empires? Uh, there's this uh, IDW something magazine collectors version of high tide and turnabout too, I think. Oh god, they're foil, aren't they? <laughs> they're not foil, I don't think. I have I have one question about the Zendikar one. Um, do you tap it counterclockwise or clockwise? Are you pouring? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm pouring for the cup. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Excellent.
we've said a couple of times now that you are, are famous for high tide, but uh, want to ask you, what is it about this deck that appeals to you? Yeah, I think it's coming back to what I like about magic in general and and how countertop was back in the day. Sort of, you can, but you shouldn't because if you don't, you can be rewarded. Kind of deal. So, cantrip setting up and and resolve that predict and and get that small amount of value and then ride that value for like six more turns and then that extra card is the nail in the coffin and, and at the end sort of that that's that's what high tide is all about so it's sort of what i enjoy about miracles but without all the sorts of plowshares and terminus and stuff that you end up drawing when you're up against show and tell each time so it's so it, it's very pure in the sense that it's what i want to do I would just want to cantrip, I want to have solid mana, and I want to blank as much as I can from my opponent's deck, lightning bolts and fatal push and what have you. And then it's sort of, uh, yeah, it's it's like a puzzle when you go off. It's not very complicated. You, you Once you figure out how to, to get to a state where you can blue sun for a lot, you, the, the way to get there can be sort of, you do you want to turnabout now or do you want to have another layer of protections should you save the turnabout to that force of will all those kind of mind games and especially when you play uh, in in real life you can you can use that the read on of your opponent to know how much mana you want and how much protection you want sort of so that's that's what i really enjoy about magic and, and high tide in general so with high tide will the best sort of game experiences come from you sort of going off with the deck in a particularly satisfying way or would you get it rather from playing against a difficult matchup but sort of working through that uh, sort of what, what is the what is most rewarding for you when you realize when you're too far behind to really win the game but you, you find this line the one outer and you go for it and you hit then that that is very rewarding it doesn't always happen pretty much never but to, to play magic and, and figure out that there's always this line, however unlikely, and, and and then go for it. When you realize that you can't really grind yourself back from this spot. You're dead in two turns. There's a Thalia in play. But you can shuffle on the ponder that's like safe and sound, and maybe you can hit that one time spiral, you know. It's it's quite interesting because... Uh... When I when I started to get to know who you, who you were as a player, it was uh, due to miracles, um, because I, I I was kind of on decks trying to beat miracles, and uh, from from memory uh, I've seen a lot of countertop uh, you know results coming uh, from your way, and I think you were very invested in the miracles meta and the Discord channels and all that. And how do you feel about the state of miracles uh, now? Well, we can talk about 2019 <laughs> and how how the game went from having the answers to presenting the threats. And miracles as a core strategy is to have the answers. And nowadays you have to work so hard for the answers to line up. Without top, you can terminus, but you have to work for it. And and. If you if you look at what you want to terminus, it's no longer like three Tarmogoyfs. It's not about preserving your life total for a few turns and then turn the corners with the terminus. Now it's like, here's a one drop. Do you have a removal spell? Otherwise, this will draw my three cards every turn. And so so the the bar for terminus is so 
high that you have to use it as a source to plowshares, basically. I think Terminus has been replaced by Prismatic Ending, though, like a segue from, from the source to plowshares analogy. And yeah, and, and the best sort of Miracle Shells are all green-based, because Uro is a very busted card too, which then also is about presenting the threat rather than having the answer. So Miracle is, is a classic reactive deck i think is sort of dead at the moment sadly yeah yeah i i, I have that feeling too um i've not played s- super many reps with miracles uh, i did play it a bit during the countertop and a bit during the ak era and then the deck still felt like um the pressure is on the opponent to kill me um they uh, they either overcommit or are too slow i feel like recently the the decks are so proactive and uh, kind of like the answers they have come in a really weird shape you know endurance or prismatic ending which both are really good good cards for a control deck but are not miracle-esque controlly and i think the i i agree with the miracle is uh, it's dead uh, kind of sentiment because I don't recognize Miracles in the decks that we're seeing. They are, uh, you know, some sort of banned proactive kind of deck. And uh, the same thing with, you know, Uro. Uh, you're you're playing this, uh, this creature that just kills the opponent given enough time. And that's kind of like where Aluren <laughs> is right now as well. It's uh, you win without the Aluren so many times due to Uro or other, you know, proactive things you know oko during that era grist now so i I think some of these cards are uh, kind of like erasing the identity of certain decks you know the uh, yeah uh, besides the really efficient you know blue red delver still feels like blue red delver Uh, i used to call call that deck you know um, glorified burn but that's not true anymore and i think that's uh, sad because i can't make that joke anymore no i remember playing against old times so pre-2019 uh old, old releases uh, the old times miracles deck me not being a control player uh at the time nor now uh, i would always f- have this feeling of of dread whenever they just played basic land go and you'd be like oh shit so they have this all figured out there's four cards in their hand and whatever i do there's going to be a response to what I do that's going to net them value and uh, get them ahead on board probably in some way. Um, and that's just not true anymore because if you play basic land or on a fetch land pass, at the end of your turn there's going to be an ice fang quaddle, like this <laughs> this this two drop flash creature that's sort of now the way we play control decks, which is just not the same as basic planes go i mean although i've never been a good player to to fight these decks uh, so sort of for my win streaks i might perhaps be glad that they are not so present anymore it really does feel as you said both uh, marcus and christopher a bit of a soul is missing here and uh, that makes me a bit sad uh, so you two uh, who, who are good predictors of these things do you think it'll make a return is there a way for, for old-school Miracles to claw itself back into the format? And what would that be? Yeah, I think so. I, I think what we see now is a response to all the feels bad that 
we complained about a couple of years ago that you play this card and it's sort of damaging myself. Okay, well, let's make Narset uh, not symmetrical. And and, and now that we see that the card draw attached to all the threats today for like having your player not feel bad about it getting destroyed sort of makes all the answers bad. Prismatic ending a couple of years ago would be like too good, but today it trades evenly on mana and you sometimes trade uh, down on, on cards too. So so it's good, but it's not amazing, but it's we are getting there. So like if mana drain or a similar card would be printed today, we sort of had have this uh, way to punish your opponent for tapping out. But right now there's no way. It's The only thing you can do is to tap out for your threats and if the things resolve you you should play your own threats rather than try to answer the board. If Monodrain was unbanned or reprinted to, to get it down to a reasonable price level then that would be sweet for control and I think we're only like one or two cards away from having a control shell happen. Yeah, I definitely agree on on the mana drain. Uh, you know, it's some people because right now it's uh, it's banned, and I don't think that's one of the bans that I think is super reasonable, because uh, it has a big upside, but it's still passing on uh, turn two or upwards with two mana, and with all of the reactive spells that we've seen, uh, especially now with endurances or quattle, you can pressure that in a different way. And also, you know, threats as Ragavan and uh, Dragon Ray Chandler that create incremental value uh, over time from turn one. I think having a Haymaker counterspell would be really good for those decks to, you know, kind of claw back. Being able to, you know, hard cast Terminus turn three or something if it's uh, necessary. I, I think it's, uh, it sounds very cool. I'm definitely not scared about the unbanning of... Uh, a card like that and then of course with that reprints because they are kind of expensive they were reprinted though in uh, iconic masters yeah yeah still expensive <laughs> <laughs> crazy um, no but I, it, it shows that they're not afraid to to, to reprint it because i'm thinking like who are you reprinting this card for like no one who plays vintage are ever going to want to sleeve up an iconic masters version of mana drain i think giving my sort of my uh, prejudice uh, on who is a vintage player but uh, no i'm i'm with you guys i think this would probably be fine in legacy i mean uro you can't cast uro with mana drain mana so you know <laughs> there you have it and also unbanned survival of the fittest now you heard it here too only took us nine episodes to get there yeah finally finally got there While we're on the topic, um, do you have anything else that you would like to see changed in the format, Marcus? Yeah, I don't want to be too grumpy old dads sitting here and talking about the good old days, but the good old days before Ragavan were better than now. <laughs> I, I think the monkey is too pushed, and people people say it's no, it's not like Deathrite Shaman, and no, it's not like Dreadhor Arcanist, but I think it's kind of both, actually. So, if one of those cards are were banned this would be 
twice as bad, right? I think it has to go. And then Ursa Saga is very elegant, but I think they somehow missed that you can make an, that, that second construct with the trigger on stack or something. It feels like it's, it's a bit too much. Yeah, I think it's it's a bit problematic. Um, I, I, I like the land because I've, I played a bit with it in uh, blue-white uh, standstill and stuff like that. But it's still... Uh, a very hard card to combat. It creates so much value on its own, and uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that it's 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 not ban worthy where we are now because I agree with you know Ragavan. It's it's maybe not the power level that's as much of a problem for me as the feel bad when they hit you and get one of your maybe you know like. If, if they hit me and I'm playing standstill and they just play the standstill and they have still the Ragavan out, it's just pretty much game over uh, for a lot of decks if they hit one of those cards that you've not set up for yet. And uh, that kind of brings a lot more variance into into a game, you know, what card will Ragavan hit? And that's just introducing more feel bad. However, having said all that, uh, I think I would say that playing Paper Legacy also is, of course, a vaccine against a lot of these things. Because, as we said earlier, a lot of people who play Paper Legacy do not show up to a weekly tournament to spike it for that 25 euro store credit value. Like, they're not in in it for that. They're in it to, oh, look, I made this thing work. And that's just so much more fun. Uh, and, and for me, that sort of that puts me in the sort of I'm in this relaxed seat where I'm always my 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 sort of Zen take on, on legacy legality is that everything is always great. Like the format is super great at all times uh, because if I just decide for myself that I'm not going to get into theory crafting on how it could be made better, I'm just going to feel so much more at ease. Uh, and then again, you know, if I run in, if I go down to the local store once COVID, you know, lockdown is lifted, and I bring my uh, Nick Fit Rector deck, and someone crushes me game turn sort of round one with a Ragavan Stifle deck, so be it. I always have round two, and if they feel happy about that, you know, good for them. Uh, at least someone sort of walked away happy. Yeah, that 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 was beautiful. But but I and I think that is true. But there has to be a delta between try hard and having fun, right? And and like the the possibility for you to have the brew, and the, the blue red delver, it's, it's like public enemy. And then you should have like this tool that you can use and turn the tides. Uh, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, like. Uh... You before before the cast, you sent uh, one of your oldest deck lists to me on uh, on Twitter. Uh, the uh, countertop first for knowledge Tarmogoyf click deck, and I was just you know super in love with it, and I, I just felt like this is where we were. Uh, this is how great Legacy can be. Sure, countertop was in there, but it was pre pre terminus pre uh, entreat. And it, it looked like a deck that you today still could win games with because, you know, some some cards are just inherently powerful. But I think, uh, the, like you said, the delta between having fun and uh, winning uh, tournaments, uh, you know, having a competitive deck, 
the bigger that delta is, the the more variety you have in deck building and uh, you know being allowed to do your specific thing. I think that's what makes formats uh, fun to play. And at that time, and uh, the years uh, like before that, uh, or, or and after, uh, I really feel like a lot of things flew in in uh, Legacy. One of the issues right now is that you have all these forces. So the best the best not openers are 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 more fragile now than than previously. So that in turn means that the Delver decks that used to um, prey on on being this glorified burn deck with a force of will, they can now have six, seven forces and expressive iteration to refuel in the mid game. So to take all the all the spectrum of decks and like being low if low efficient and also drawing cards and that's that's the issue i think that was the reason dreadhot got banned and i think monkey should go too because it's it's too much for like it's not stone paper scissors it's it's everything and the machine gun and then <laughs> you show up with your <laughs> high tie deck and hope that you have a good matchup somewhere on the day <laughs> one thing that i've done in aleran and i know for time the, this episode um is something close to what i see a lot of bantex do also uh, i'm not playing nile spell bombs surgicals or fair macabres in the sideboard anymore um just due to having two endurance in the main to have random value against some graveyard decks and then packing two more in the sideboard and that effect, when I first saw a list playing zero, you know, of these normal uh, hate cards for sideboard, I was thinking that's crazy. And then I tried it once and I've never looked back. It It's too efficient uh, to, uh, you know, if I, how many, how many games do you actually win if you play a turn one Nile Spellbomb against the uh, Dredge deck? Some, but it's not great. I mean, my, my, my loss, uh, in Bologna was to dredge deck in in day one because that deck is just so hard to beat for the day. it doesn't matter if I pack so many uh, you know random hate cards in the sideboard but having this you know endurance in the main and in the sideboard just really makes makes them either have to go for it and hope that I don't have it and get really blown out by you know my four off uh, that's also just accidentally a good creature uh, or you know, waiting for long, uh, for too long until I get to four mana and just kill them. And I think the Bant deck, you know, having such good threats uh, and being a control deck, that effect, it's like you don't need cards like Rest in Peace. I mean, sure, you play Uro, so you might not want that anyways, but Surgicals are not as necessary because you can play those greedy endurances and be rewarded a lot of times. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think endurance endurance is a good card. It's designed well, and there's there's a cost of putting it into your deck because it's a three four for three mana, and that's that's not worth a card in my book. But uh, <laughs> it has utility, and it sort of keeps everything honest around it, uh, and I like that. But it it has effects on the sideboarding, like you say, and. I don't really know what we need Cyborg for today because the graveyard decks, well, we have Endurance and we have Prismatic Endings and we have all the Forces main. 
I don't really know what what's in the sideboard today. <laughs> no, I mean um, the deck I play the most these days has a 15 card wishboard. Uh, so there you have it. And uh, with that, uh, we're gonna round it off uh, for this week. We do hope that you have enjoyed your time with us and our distinguished first guest, Marcus Evald. Again, thank you so much for coming. If you did enjoy listening, uh, consider recommending us to a friend of yours and spread the word. Uh, if someone wants to reach out to us, where can we be found? Marcus? I'm on Twitter at truckis123 and I am, I would like to respond on MTGO. So if you have any questions, just feel free to reach out. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, monolithmtg. And you can find me at Disco Drogo also on Twitter. Uh, and this concludes the ninth episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Christopher Wikstrom. Special thanks again to Marcus Ewald. My name is Victor Bernhards. Uh, our amazing music is written by Franes. You can check them out on Spotify. Uh, until next time, be Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs>